Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Good afternoon and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today we'll be studying number 13 of Jeremiah chapter 50. And we're going to be reading Jeremiah 50 verses 19 and 20. And I'll bring Israel again to his habitation and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan and his soul shall be satisfied upon Mount Ephraim and Gilead in those days and in that time, saith Jehovah, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for and there shall be none and the sins of Judah and they shall not be found. For I will pardon them whom I reserve. Now, um, in our last study, we um, had progressed from verse 17 into verse 19. And we saw that it uh, was God's plan to punish the king of Babylon. And the reason for this was that uh, he was instrumental in scattering Israel and along with the king of Assyria. And uh, spiritually, this pointed to Satan's assault against the churches and congregations, which drove the true believers out and also prevented God from using the churches to gather that great multitude. Of course, it was never God's plan to do that, but nonetheless, the... Uh, loosing of Satan, his entering into the congregations as the man of sin, it, in a way, it scattered Israel. And, and so God says that he will punish the king of Babylon and his land as I have punished the king of Assyria. And, and we have talked about this, uh, repeatedly, that the king of Babylon was punished at the end of the 70-year period, in the very night that the Medes and the Persians took the kingdom, they put to death the king of Babylon. And and that pictures Satan's punishment coming at the end of the Great Tribulation, as the end of the 70 years historically for Judah typified the Great Tribulation. And so God is... Uh, revealing and confirming to us it's at the end of the Great Tribulation Satan is punished and the kingdom of Babylon falls. And the end of the Great Tribulation was May 21, 2011. And so God uh, brought that judgment to pass. He or began uh, to bring that judgment to pass as it's being carried out over the course of this prolonged period of judgment day that we are presently in. And the judgment on Satan was he was officially removed from his position of rule in the church, officially removed from his position of rule in the world. Now Christ was ruling over all that Satan once ruled over, and yet Jesus is ruling with a rod of iron because it is judgment day. And and Babylon, the kingdom of Satan, has fallen, and it is the time of her harvest. And 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 so uh, we're we're in the time of 
the pouring out of the wrath of God upon Satan and his kingdom. And, and that's why it's so significant when God follows verse 18, um, in that verse he speaks of punishing the king of Babylon with what he says in the next verse, verse 19. And I will bring Israel again to his habitation. And we looked at that word in our last study. We saw it's translated as sheep coat and, and several times as fold. Uh, in, in regards to sheep. And, and that's exactly what this verse is speaking of. It's typifying Israel and Judah as sheep. And it will bring Israel again to his fold, and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan. Carmel is um, uh, the name of a place, that, and it's also translated in uh, a verse we looked at in uh, Micah chapter 7 where it's called fruitful field. It's um, interchangeable. It could say, and he shall feed on the fruitful field in Bashan. Or it's also able to be translated as plentiful field. And, and it has to do with being well fed. Israel, the, the sheep of God, will be well fed in the time when God is bringing about the judgment of Satan, the judgment of the kingdom kingdom of Babylon, then he will bring Israel to his habitation or fold, and he shall feed on the fruitful field Carmel and Bashan, and his soul shall be satisfied upon Mount Ephraim and Gilead. And, uh, uh, of course, this reminds us of uh, God's command, first of all, in Matthew 24, to depart out of Judea and flee to the mountains. And that command had to do with leaving the churches and going to God as he likens himself and his word to mountains. We flee to the word of God, to the kingdom of God, which is represented by the Bible. And, and, and it's in those mountains, in the scriptures, in the time, uh, this began at the time of the great tribulation when God called his people out of the churches, but it, it also is occurring now into the day of judgment that God is feeding his people in the mountains, in or through the word of God, the Bible, and it is a fruitful place. It is a fruitful field where um, Israel's soul, and Israel here would be a reference to the the, the body of believers, Israel or, or spiritual Israel of God, Israel's soul shall be satisfied. And uh, we'll look at that word in a little bit, but let's just first remind us of um, what the Lord Jesus Christ said in John 21. In John 21, now, uh, John 21 is coming at the end of the book. Uh, John 20 actually properly closed the, the gospel of John, or the fourth gospel. And then John 21 is sort of um, an addendum. It's it's an addition. 
It's just an unusual close to the book where the uh, the disciples are going fishing. They catch nothing. Then suddenly Christ instructs them where to fish and they let down their net and they have a great catch of fish. It says in um, John twenty one eleven, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. And for all, there were so many, yet was not the net broken. 153 is 9 times 17, or 3 times 3 times 17. And 3 uh, indicates the purpose of God, that all of this great catch of fish, or the great multitude, are safely brought to heaven, Not that they go to heaven right there, but that they become saved, guaranteeing their uh, eternal future, that they are a part of the kingdom of heaven. And 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 so the, the great catch of fish is brought to the Lord Jesus. And then uh we read in in verse fourteen, this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. Again, Third time, the number three, is uh, is very much in view in this chapter, pointing to God's purpose for events that unfold after the catch of the great um, the 153 fish, which typify the great multitude that came out of great tribulation, and and we know. That's so. One of the reasons is that the net did not break. It, it is not the fishing expedition of the church, as we saw earlier in the gospel accounts, where there was also a great catch of fish, but their net broke because uh, God uh, would not use the churches and congregations to bring in the great multitude, and and finally he would be finished with them. But outside of the churches, the Lord would, uh, at the, at the uh, time of the end, during the final about 17 years of the Great Tribulation, God would send forth the gospel uh, in what he calls the latter rain to save that great multitude of people from all the, the nations and tongues and tribes of the earth. And they would be safely brought in the net would not break. Well, now the third time Christ is showing himself after that he was risen from the dead, we read in verse 15, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, Son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And in these verses, we see the Lord's program for his people in the day of judgment. 
It is a time of feeding the sheep, not seeking the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They were brought in, typified by that great catch of fish. The great multitude has come out of great tribulation. And and so now concentrate on feeding them. And we know that what feeds sheep is truth, truth from the word of God, the Bible. And um, one of the uses of the uh, when Christ said, feed my sheep, uh, the, the same Greek word translated as sheep is also found in Revelation chapter 7, where we read of um, a great multitude in verse 9. It says, after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And then a little further down, uh, beginning in verse 13, the question is asked about that great multitude, and one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Now, day and night is a time reference. It cannot be referring to heaven when time has ended. When uh, it, If um, this were... Um, describing events taking place in heaven, we would not read that they were serving him, the great multitude, great multitude, day and night in his temple. Day and night occurs on earth. The Bible says of eternity future that there's no night there. There's no time. It's eternity. And eternity is outside of time. So God in mentioning serving him day and night in his temple is making a reference to something that's taking place on earth. But how can the great multitude serve God day and night in his temple? Well, the answer to that is they are his temple. They are uh, living stones that upon salvation, were built up to a holy temple, a habitation of God. And once God saved all of the elect, which he He did accomplish prior to shutting the door of heaven on May 21, 2011, then the whole body of Christ was complete or the temple was finished. And we read um, elsewhere in the Bible where where God had Solomon build the temple, and then God's Spirit entered in once it was completed. And that is exactly what the Lord did with all of his elect, now um, saved. It is a completed temple ready for the habitation of God. And so God enters in, and, and the people of God, though, these elect, the majority of them are living on the earth in the day of judgment. Many are in heaven. They're all 
part of that temple. They all make up that holy temple and, and, uh, and all are doing service to him. True believers are serving God upon the earth and the souls without bodies are serving God in heaven and, and so forth. So they're serving him day and night in his temple and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. And, and that would refer to God entering into that holy habitation, into the completed body of the elect. And then it says in verse 16, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. That is, they shall hunger after righteousness no more, because all have obtained it. And they shall not thirst for um, the word of God anymore because God has granted them his salvation. And, and, and then it goes on to say, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. And well, uh, I, I don't want to go into, ever, we have looked at this before and explained these things uh, in our Revelation study. We went through Revelation chapter 7, uh, verse by verse. So if you're interested in um any of these statements, please just go to our website and you'll be able to follow up on it. Now let's look at verse 17. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And here we have the Lord Jesus Christ called the Lamb and and he's in the midst of the throne and it says he shall feed them. And that's the same word that's found in John 21, feed my sheep. It's a word that has to do with feeding sheep or a shepherd feeding sheep. Now, Jesus is called the lamb, but he's also the good shepherd. And he is feeding his great multitude and leading them. Leading them like a shepherd leads the flock of sheep. And he is leading them unto living fountains of waters. Now, the living fountains of waters are those gospel waters that, that, um, will, will flow forevermore. Uh, for instance, in Revelation 21, we, we have similar language. Um, in verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. And here we see that God has um, created the new heaven and new earth. And so all things are done. He has brought the end to pass. And yet we still read in the future tense at, at the end of Revelation 21 verse 6, I will Give unto him that is the thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Because God will give that living gospel water to his people 
forevermore. It is something we will drink of into eternity future. And, and, and so he will, uh, lead them unto living fountains of waters. Here we are on the earth. The Lord Jesus Christ is our, our good shepherd feeding us spiritually, nourishing us from his word as he opens up the scriptures even further uh, as we have continued to learn more and more truth into this period of time known as Judgment Day. And he is leading us to an appointed destination of the kingdom of heaven, the, the new heavens and new earth, unto those living fountains of waters. Well, this is all what's in view in Jeremiah 50. In Jeremiah 50, when God speaks of bringing Israel again to his habitation, and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan, and his soul shall be satisfied upon Mount Ephraim and Gilead. And and by the way, Ephraim is um, a, a word that also means fruitfulness. It, and, and so we have the Lord mentioning Carmel and now Mount Ephraim, Gilead, uh, or Gilead means heap of testimony. Uh, but, but there is a strong emphasis upon fruitfulness through the use of Carmel and Ephraim in Jeremiah 50 verse 19. And of course we understand why, because this is the precious fruit of the earth. These are the ones that God has been waiting for as the husbandman. He, he is bringing the final harvest from the feast of ingathering to himself. And it so happens that 1600 days from the point of, spiritually speaking, Babylon's fall, the end of the great tribulation, 1600 days later, and we get that number from Revelation 14 that, uh, that paints a, a very detailed picture of harvest and putting in the sickle and leads us right up to the close of the chapter and presents the number 1,600 and 1,600 furlongs. But it so happens that 1,600 days from May 21, 2011, when the Great Tribulation ended, brings us to the last day of the Feast of Harvest, the last day of the Feast of Ingathering. And, and that would be a day when God would be receiving all the fruit and the hope is and our expectation is that it's the day that that we leave this world and enter into the new kingdom uh, or the new heaven and the new earth. Well, uh, the word satisfied here at the end of verse 19, his soul shall be satisfied upon Mount Ephraim and Gilead is a word that points to salvation. For instance, in Psalm 90, in Psalm 90, in uh, verse 14, it says, O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. And in Psalm 91, in verse 16, With long life will I satisfy him, and show him 
my salvation. Of course, a long life would be eternal life. And, and that's what, um, is in view through, uh, the use of this word. His soul shall be satisfied upon these mountains. It, it's, um, referring to the salvation of God's elect. Okay, let's, um, go on to the next verse in Jeremiah 50, verse 20, where it says, In those days and in that time, saith Jehovah, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none, and the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found, for I will pardon them whom I reserve. Well, what is this speaking of? In those days and in that time. Now, when we read the phrase, in those days, we have two options. One is uh, a period of time called those days of the Great Tribulation. And and uh, we we find that language in Matthew 24 and, and maybe a couple of other places. And the other option is those days after the tribulation. And we we find that mention in Mark thirteen Mark thirteen verse twenty four. It says, But in those days after that tribulation the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And that's where we are presently in time. We are in the period after the tribulation, in those days after that tribulation, and the um, the darkening of the sun and the moon not giving its light and the stars falling uh, are language pointing to the removal of the gospel lights and we are seeing the Son of Man coming in the clouds as the clouds typify judgment. And we're seeing this through what we're reading in the Bible. That That's where um, God's people have spiritual sight. We see through understanding the Word of God. and And so we see Christ coming in the clouds through the Scripture. And uh, th- this is... Uh, the period of time since, um, again, Mark thirteen twenty four says in those days after that tribulation and the context for Jeremiah 50 has already been established in, in several previous verses. It's the fall of Babylon. And once again, when did Babylon fall after 70 years? What did those 70 years typify? The great tribulation. Therefore, after the 70 years represents or pictures in those days after that tribulation. And, uh, and, and this is the time when God is feeding sheep, as we read in John 21. So in those days and in that time, saith Jehovah, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for and there shall be none. And the sins of Judah and they shall not be found. So it is as though God is looking for sin in Israel and Judah, and he's not able to find any. He he cannot see any sin. Now that is 
very uh, strange and unusual, isn't it? We definitely know with without any question it cannot be physical Israel or the Israel over in the Middle East. And, and historically, when God looked at Israel, who uh, and and Judah, who were His outward representatives, as as corporately. Israel and Judah represented the kingdom of God to all the inhabitants of the earth. And and what happened when God would um, search Israel in those days? Well, he would constantly find iniquity, constantly find unfaithfulness and transgression of his law to the point that he had to destroy them by the Assyrians. Likewise, when God conducted a search of Judah. He found idolatry and and spiritual fornication and worshiping of high places and so forth. He found much sin to the point he had to raise up the Babylonians to destroy them and and take them into captivity. And all through Israel's history, there was sin. And when the Lord Jesus Christ entered into the world and entered into Israel uh, at the the end of the Old Testament side of things and into the first century A.D., when he went about performing his ministry, what did we see from the scribes and Pharisees and chief priests? We saw much iniquity, much sin. and And so finally God divorced national Israel when he rent the veil of the temple in twain and he was finished with them. Their their sins had ended that relationship. This can only be the Israel of God, spiritual Israel. And and God actually makes this point very clearly in Romans. It, it's so clear that it uh, it, it's amazing that anyone uh, in the churches or or uh, anyone at all could still make the mistake and and, and think that uh, God has some special plan for Israel in the latter times, and rather than understand, no, it, it's not uh, literal physical Israel that God has a special plan for. It is the Israel that that is made up of God's elect Jew and Gentile combined. It says in Romans 2, in verse 28, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. And uh, if you said that to some Jews, they would be shocked and, and, and refuse it and say, Well, of course I'm a Jew. Of course, well, yes, you're a Jew, um, physically. Yes, you're a descendant of Abraham. No one would deny that. But that's not what God is looking at. He's looking at spiritual Israel. And so he says in verse 29, But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. That is, the born-again soul who has a new resurrected heart, it is as though 
that that uh, individual's sins from their heart have been cut off, like the skin of the reproductive organ in circumcision, and and so and so God counts those for the seed of Abraham as they are in Christ, and Christ is the seed singular, but the elect are in Christ, and therefore also part of that promise uh, to to Abraham's seed. And, and this is the Israel that God is now um, contemplating. He's, he's taking a look at his people in the day of judgment, this completed body. These are my people. This is spiritual Israel that I have gathered. Uh, uh, God is is basically saying over the course of history, and I have finally completed them and brought them together, and and so now I am going to perform a search and go through the entire number of them to make sure and to verify that there is no one here that shouldn't be here. Well, uh, that's why the Lord says, The iniquity of Israel shall be sought for. Is there any unsaved amongst these people? And there shall be none. The answer is no. There, There's no iniquity. Because all their sins have been paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an assembly of the righteous. This is an assembly of the pure in heart, of those made holy. There are no sins to see. And God goes on to double the statement in the next part of the verse, in the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found. For I will pardon them whom I reserve. So he he searches um, Israel, and there is none. He searches Judah and and for sin, and they shall not be found. He can't find one sin at all. And and this um, reminds us of what we read in Jeremiah thirty three, Jeremiah thirty three, in. Um, in beginning in verse 7, where it says, And I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to return, and will build them as at the first. Now, again, at what point did the captivity of Judah return from Babylon? After the Babylonians were conquered by the Medes and the Persians, and then King Cyrus issued a decree that the Jews may go home. They may leave Babylon and return home. And and that's a picture of salvation, of the completed work of God's salvation amongst his elect, as now these former captives can go back to their cities, go back to their country, and that would point to the kingdom of heaven. Let, let's not think physically, think spiritually. The, the Israel of God is in view, God's elect, and that Israel is made up of that great multitude from every nation and tribe and tongue. And at the end of the great tribulation period, which 
would identify with the end of captivity, they they may go home to the eternal kingdom of heaven, or, or now they all have citizenship in God's kingdom. And it says in verse 8, And I will cleanse them from all their iniquity, whereby they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities, whereby they have sinned, and whereby they have transgressed against me. And it shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and an honor before all the nations of the earth, which shall hear all the good that I do unto them, and they shall fear and tremble for all the goodness and for all the prosperity that I procure unto it. Thus saith Jehovah again, There shall be heard in this place which ye say, shall be desolate without man and without beast, even in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate without man and without inhabitant and without beast, the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of them that shall say, Praise Jehovah of hosts, for Jehovah is good, for his mercy endureth forever, and of them that shall bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of Jehovah, for I will cause to return the captivity of the land as at the first, saith Jehovah. And this bringing back to Jerusalem is is picturing that heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, remember, who is as a bride, and, and the bride uh, is, is uh, the bride of Christ, it is all that God has saved, and and now that uh, language is being turned around. As far as God's elect are concerned, out there in Babylon, in the world, there is no voice of the bride and voice of the bridegroom, or, or they cannot be heard any longer. But amongst God's elect, they're still being heard. And, and uh, this is just wonderful language that God is is giving us. And notice verse 15 of Jeremiah 33. In those days and at that time. That is the same language of Jeremiah 50 verse 20. And again, this would be referring to those days after that tribulation. And, and uh, I'll keep reading in verse 15. Will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David? And he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith she shall be called Jehovah our righteousness. And it's really a wonderful chapter that stands out tremendously in the book of Jeremiah as God is is pronouncing um, judgment after judgment, the wrath of God is being poured out throughout the book, and and every now and then we get uh, a little relief from that. And here God goes into detail concerning the return of the captives, which comes after the the seventy years, and and would point to the end of the great tribulation. Now we had thought uh, this was language. Speaking of bring, uh, God's people being brought to heaven. But we have learned much more since then 
that it's God's plan to leave his people on the earth for a period of time in order to try them and also to uh, demonstrate, uh, to make manifest that as they are brought before the judgment seat of Christ, not uh, for any actual judgment, but to demonstrate that they had already been judged in the Lord Jesus from the foundation of the world. Well, let's look at um, a couple of other passages. and One is in Zechariah. Zechariah 14 is that interesting passage where God uh, emphasizes the Feast of Tabernacles um, in verse 16, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, Jehovah of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And and then it uh, speaks further about that feast. But then in verse 21, the last verse of the chapter, it says, Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto Jehovah of hosts, and all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them, and seethe therein, and in that day there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of Jehovah of hosts. And and uh, again, the body of Christ is comprised only of elect. God seeks for sin, he finds none, and uh, if there were a Canaanite in the house of Jehovah, that House, whose house are we, according to Hebrews 3, if there were an individual that had not had his or her sins pardoned, well, then that would be a different story. But God uh, is saying there is no more Canaanite, and a Canaanite here would be a reference to a professed Christian, someone who identifies with the kingdom of heaven, but is not a true Christian, is not truly been born again. Uh, also, in Joel, in Joel 3, and and Joel is uh, just an excellent book for for us in, in this period of time that we're in. We, uh, we know, for instance, Joel 3, um, verse 12 says, I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Verse 13, put ye in the sickle for the harvest is ripe, and that agrees with uh, Revelation 14, 14 following, where the Son of Man is putting in the sickle in judgment. And then um, verse 15 says, The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And that uh, is, is basically drawing a signal for us or a signpost that this is the end of the Great Tribulation. This is May 21, 2011 that is in view and that I'll be speaking of. And then it says in verse 16 of Joel 3, Jehovah also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. Zion and Jerusalem are synonymous, and and, uh, they refer to the body of believers and the heavens and the earth shall shake, but Jehovah will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So shall ye know that I am Jehovah your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. 
that that is that temple God inhabits. It, the Zion is is the same thing. It's the true believers, and God is dwelling in Zion. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her any more. Again, God is doing the same thing. He's saying, "Now I can dwell in my people without." the abomination of sin being present without um that affront with without um that evil uh being also there remember the lord jesus dwelt in the midst of the congregations throughout the church age and and yet there was much sin and iniquity in the midst of the congregation so it it can't be the corporate church God is referring to, he judged them also like he did Israel and Judah of old for their sinfulness, for their uh, rebelliousness against his word. And he came out of the midst because he could not, um, he could not abide their ongoing iniquity. So he set a time for judgment. He judged them. He then completed his salvation by saving the great multitude outside of the churches, as the gospel went forth um, through the electronic medium primarily, and people heard the gospel without the intermediary or or the uh, instrument of the church necessary at all, and they heard and became saved from the word of God directly to the person, and then all of them became saved, and now God had his completed body to dwell in. And he He would dwell in them, but not like the church, but the first order of business. After all, the elect have become saved, and he, he uh, sees all of this assembly, this, this Zion, this Jerusalem, is to perform that search. And and there's no Canaanite, there's no strangers, there's no sin, there's a, no iniquity. Therefore, uh, he he can safely dwell in the midst of her. In Zephaniah three, in Zephaniah chapter three, we read beginning in verse eight. Therefore, wait ye upon me, saith Jehovah, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger. For all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they make all call upon the name of Jehovah to serve him with one consent, from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my suppliants, even the daughter of my dispersed, shall bring mine offering. In that day, notice that similar phrase there, in that day shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doings, wherein thou hast transgressed against me, for then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride, and thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of Jehovah. The remnant of Israel shall 
not do iniquity, nor speak lies, neither shall deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Well, we we should be familiar enough now with this type of language to recognize, number one, judgment day was established in Zephaniah 3 verse 8, as God determined to gather the nations and, and pour upon them his indignation. And then God speaks of the gathering of Israel. And notice also he says, uh, the remnant of Israel in verse 13 shall do, shall not do iniquity, nor speak lies, nor shall deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. That is, there's no sin. There, there's no transgression. There's no iniquity. And in that uh, same verse, he he says, They shall feed and lie down. Time to feed the sheep. Again, judgment day in view. Feed my sheep. And and it's not accidental. It's not coincidental that we continually find these types of statements in the setting of Judgment Day. And then it says in verse uh, 14, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shall, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Jehovah has taken away thy judgments. He has cast out thine enemy, the king of Israel. Even Jehovah is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not. And to Zion, let not thine hands be slack. Jehovah thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save, he will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love, he will joy over thee with singing. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly, who are of thee to whom the reproach of it was a burden. Behold, at that time I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that holdeth, and gather her that was driven out. And I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. At that time will I bring you again, even in the time that I gather you. For I will make you a name and a praise among all the people of the earth, when I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith Jehovah. And again, turning back the captivity. And the captivity, the return of the captives, identifies with the end of the Great Tribulation. Judgment Day is in view in Zephaniah 3. When does Judgment Day come? At the end of the Great Tribulation. Feeding sheep is in view. When does that happen? In those days after that tribulation. And and God is gathering his people, and he turns back, their captivity before their eyes. That is, we are witnesses to the things that God is doing. Well, um, let, let's just go back to Jeremiah 50, and we'll just read the final statement in verse 20. The iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none, and the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found, for I will pardon them whom I reserve. And the Hebrew word uh, for pardon, Strong's number 5545, is also translated as forgiveth. 
in Psalm 103.3, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. And uh, here God is speaking of forgiving all the sin, all the iniquity of all of his people. And, and that's why when he seeks, when he searches for that sin, he cannot find it. The Lord Jesus Christ bore all those sins in his body on the tree. He made payment. He became a curse for us, dying for them and, and paid the penalty in full. The law's demands were completely satisfied and purging all of his people from all sin upon the application of that atoning work of his when they were redeemed in their lifetime and now all have been redeemed. Everyone has not only been elected and and had their sins paid for from Christ from the foundation of the world, but now everyone has also had that blood of Christ applied to them with hyssop through the application of the word of God and they have been removed. There is not one elect anywhere in the world whose sins are still upon him as they have not yet been or that redemption has not been applied to him. No, God is saying it's all done, it's all finished, it's all completed and I find no sin anywhere amongst my people whom I reserve, for I will pardon them whom I reserve. Now, uh, interestingly enough, the word reserve, which is strong 7604, is also translated as left and remain or remained. And uh, it, it reminds us of, of um, what is said in 1 Thessalonians 4 in that uh, wonderful chapter, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, it says in verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. And then in verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, why does God emphasize being alive and remaining on the earth when the Lord finally comes to lift us up? Well, because uh, he he brought the day of judgment to pass. He began judgment. He left his people on the earth to go through judgment day. And so they're alive. They have spiritual life, um, they have the life of Christ within them, and they remain. They are alive and remaining until that day, the last day of this period of time, which very likely will be that 10,000th day, that 1600th day, the last day of the Feast of Harvest and Tabernacles, October 7th in 2015. Then it can be said that all of these elect were alive and remained upon the earth until they were taken up. And I think that God might be making reference to that here in Jeremiah fifty twenty. And they shall not be found, that is, those sins, for I will pardon them whom I 
reserve or whom I left, whom I um, had remained on the earth at that time in those days after that tribulation. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.